Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview podcast on Friday, April 6th. On today's edition, we're going to talk about the debate among Democrats vying to be the party's nominee for Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District, the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. 50 years after he was assassinated, and the McClellan High School coach who was put on paid leave after KARK revealed he'd made bigoted tweets. He's now back on the job. I'm joined this week by Antoine Jennings. He's a lawyer at Wright Lindsay Jennings. Antoine Phillips. <laughs> I, I was going to say, he just he just gave me a new name. <laughs> Antoine Phillips, uh, who's a lawyer at Wright Lindsay Jennings. That'd be quite a coincidence. And all-around mover and shaker uh, in all sorts of political and civic circles in Arkansas. Thanks for being here, Antoine. Absolutely. I'm glad to be a part. But your name, just right off the top. Well, that's a, a um, great start. I appreciate the... Uh, the hospitality so far. Sure, sure. <laughs> so Gwen Combs, Jonathan Dunkley, Paul Spencer, and State Representative Clark Tucker, who are the four candidates in the field for the Democratic nomination for 2nd U.S. Congressional District, faced off in an hour-long debate this week, hosted by KTV. And uh, I caught some of it, not all. It seemed uh, it seemed like they agreed in lots of spots. Um they certainly have different styles. What was your impression? The impression, I agree with you. I mean, it's a primary debate, so you're going to hear a lot of the same things. So I think in these situations, the thing that stands out is personality. And I, I think that was the purpose of the debate. And you heard some of the candidates mention that. Uh, the first thing that out the gate Combs uh, says, I'm a fighter and takes a dig at the station that's airing a debate. Um, saying that they were taking a break from a biased media to allow for this debate. Yeah, Sinclair, yeah. the the right-wing uh, media chain, owns KTV and, and was uh, in the news a lot this week because of a script uh, that, that local commentators were forced to, or local anchors were forced to read that, if you didn't know better, sounded like local commentary, but there was a viral video where uh, every... Um, or not every, but many of the anchors were shown reading the same script, and it was something in the vein of Trump's uh, fake news claims. Absolutely, and, and that may be a whole different conversation, yeah. but for her to come out make that statement, um, I, I think it was very intentional. She wanted to come out as a fighter. Um, whether it was effective or not is yet to remain to be seen. And on the very other end of the podium, you had Paul Spencer, who did not go into any background about himself as a person. He said, it's not about what we've done or who I am, but what we can do for the people, um, which is a strategic move when you know that there's someone on the stage who has the, the credentials uh, that people typically expect from a second congressional district candidate, such as Clark Tucker. Um, and I, I think it was clear during the debate and to most folks that uh, Clark is um, the the front runner. He, he's the most um, has the best chance to defeat French in November. I think that came through during the debate. I think Dunkley um, has made himself. He's a Bernie candidate. Um, where you know he's the one that got into the race late, didn't have much name recognition. Gwen Combs is known for. Uh, the 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 women's march for being the organizer of that has been in the media since then. Got into the race. I think she was maybe the first or second candidate to get in. Right. Paul Spencer, uh, 
started Regnant Populus, uh, is a, a longtime activist, Catholic high school teacher. You, you kind of got the vibe that he teaches history. He, right. he had that sort of prof- professorial tone. And he's building uh, some some name recognition. I, I've seen a lot of his uh, advertisements, and he has billboards, and he's going with this you know small donor campaign push, and you can't buy Paul, uh, which is a direct affront to all the money that's in politics, which I think people can relate to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think when you have someone with like Clark Tucker who's going to be able to raise the money, I mean, to run this race, you're talking seven figures. Um, and I think he's the one, and I think it's shown in debate, that people are going to get behind and, and put their dollars behind. Yeah, so that uh, I think that's definitely the conventional wisdom. And, um, you know, you and I pay close attention to politics and 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 know a lot of the people who are involved. Uh, Dunkley and Combs especially, and then Paul Spencer by his fundraising uh, tactics, seem to be going – uh, you know, putting a lot of faith in the, as you mentioned, Bernie Sanders model, the, um, you know, we need change, not more of the same, and trying to paint Clark Tucker as, uh, you know, someone who maybe sees this as his birthright. You know, he, right. he, Tucker mentioned that he's a seventh generation Arkansan, as David Ramsey put on our blog. Like, that's that's something that rubs people, a lot of people the wrong way. And, in that know? vein, too, and he also mentioned that I, I live on the same block that I grew up on, um, and if you know where he lives, then that could be painted a different a different way. So I, I definitely can understand uh, that sentiment um, towards Clark Tucker as you when you have these kind of non traditional outsider upstart and upstart Dun- candidates. Dunkley got in a dig when uh, when Tucker, all the candidates aside from Tucker, embraced Medicare for all. Right, but when uh, when Tucker said. You know, a lot of people like their employee-sponsored insurance. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to necessarily mess with that. And Dunkley said, you know, I don't know where you're coming from, but most people do not like their employee-sponsored insurance. And I think that's a, I think that's a, f- a fair critique. And if you're in the primary, um, then you have to make some distinction. It, it can't be all personality-based. So I think Dunkley was smart to take that dig at Tucker on the issue about health care because, I mean, I have family and friends who their employee issued health care is not the best and they're upset about it and they're still paying out of pocket when they go to the doctor and to the hospital. So I think he will strike strike a chord with with that line of reasoning. So what are you watching in this race going forward? Well, what's going to be important to me going forward is, is how I think Paul Spencer's small donation tactic is going to be, I think that can um, catch some steam and and help push him going forward. I'd like to see how the minority vote plays into this. Obviously, Dunklin is a minority candidate. You have Gwen Combs, who's a a female candidate, and, you know, she's not shying away from that. Like you said, she started the Women's March. So when you start to think about that minority element and then the... Uh, been sort of the year of the woman. Right, and then it's been the year of the woman. Is that enough uh, to, you know, disrupt the conventional wisdom that Clark Tucker is a state rep, he has name recognition, and everyone just expects him to be the candidate, uh, whether those two different demographics can can interfere with that. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, April 4th marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. 
So there are a number of media reflections on uh, on King's legacy and memorial events throughout the country that Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, which is a state agency, held a commemorative vigil, vigil at the state capitol where Hutchinson, Governor Hutchinson, d- delivered the keynote address. I mentioned that it's a state agency because that might explain why the governor, who uh, is in charge of state agencies, of course, was delivering the keynote address. Uh, that didn't sit well with Pulaski County Circuit Judge Wendell Griffin, who wrote on his personal blog that Governor Hutchinson's keynote address will amount to the re-assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s memory. Um, so what are you thinking about in, in this kind of time of reflection and legacy, and especially in Arkansas? Well, before we even get to the reflection, as it relates to the state agency issue, I know that uh, Judge Griffin and other folks, some folks were quoted in the paper being uh, showing some displeasure with the governor uh, being chose to give this address at the commemoration. Um, and it also pray, gives some sense to why when he was introduced, he was introduced as a jobs governor uh, trying to make some tie to um, the fight that Dr. King was fighting at the time he was assassinated, which was uh, for union rights workers in, in Memphis, sanitation workers. So I, I think that connection does give a little put a little meat on the bones to some folks on like why why was this guy our governor uh chosen to give these remarks but as a moment of reflection the first things that come to mind um when i think about king is and you always hear this in january how we romanticize him and it's always i have a dream speech uh, which obviously was an important part of the speech in washington uh, but when i think about king i think about the letter from the birmingham jail when he's been to me the most reflective of himself and where he is and his mission uh, for civil rights. And when you try to tie that into what we are as a city in Little Rock, in that letter from the Birmingham jail, he said that the biggest challenge was the white moderate. Um, And I think about that as it relates to the Little Rock School District and the takeover that we're still, you know, undergoing and how that whole process played out, I guess it's been three years now, how there was a group of quote-unquote white moderates who kind of okayed uh, the idea that we can get to the point where we are now where there is no, uh, there's literally represent taxation without representation as it re- relates to our local school board. So when you think about King and his, um, the vigor he wrote with about the white moderate and how that could be uh, detrimental to the uh, attainment of civil rights, and then you try to relate it to Little Rock, that's the first thing that comes to mind to me is that there is a group of folks in Little Rock who you would, who some would consider the white moderate, who was supportive of the takeover. And and it's more of the same, and that's exactly what he was writing about when he was in jail in Birmingham. Sure. And you see so many politicians, uh, especially, you know, on King Day and then on, around this anniversary, kind of wrapping themselves in, in King and, and uh, you know, quoting some of his most familiar passages. But forgetting you know, what a radical he was right. in, in a lot of different ways and, and how there's just a direct line between what he was fighting for and so many activist calls today, chief among them, Black Lives Matter. A- absolutely. And, and I think our governor kind of skirted around that issue. He was quoted in the paper because I didn't actually attend the, the event for work reasons, but he was quoted in the paper saying that King had a way to make you feel uncomfortable. And to me, being uncomfortable is just only a step in the on the on the way to, uh, you know, 
equity and equality, it's one thing to be uncomfortable to talk about racial issues and uh, segregation and uh, housing and school issues. It's uncomfortable to talk about. It's another thing to act on that discomfort, to realize that there are people it's uncomfortable for you to talk about, but it's uncomfortable for them to live and to be far, far more, far more. So you have some uncomfortability and just discussing it and people are living it. And then we just talk about it and then we're done and you're no longer uncomfortable because the conversation is over, but these people are dealing with these issues every day. So to me, that's where there's definitely a disconnect where you can kind of praise King and uh, highlight all these things he was about, but then fall short of the action that goes along with the, with the rhetoric. Definitely. Before we move on to the next topic, let's uh, let's put in a plug for uh, what what we've come up with, or what you've mostly come up with. Um, that's going to be an addition to the burgeoning Arkansas Times podcast right. network. So, <laughs> so we don't have a name yet. That's the only thing that's left. But uh, Antoine is going to start doing a weekly podcast in a couple of weeks. So, uh, tell us what it's going to be. Well. Um the, the first thing would be, like you said, would be the name, and um, Lindsay and I are going to be creative and, and try to come up with something catchy that people uh, can easily tweet about, I guess, is the day and age we live in. But the idea was to share news, uh, perspective, and culture uh, from a as it relates to black people in central Arkansas. I think there's a lot of news that happens, a lot of things that happen, a lot of things that don't happen um, that are reported, but we don't necessarily have the perspective of what is essentially half of the population in the biggest city in the state of Arkansas. So what I wanted to do, and I'm thankful and grateful for Lindsay and Arkansas time for giving me the platform to do it is to be able to have a weekly podcast to digest what's happened within the past week. Um, and also bring on guests who are working in the community, some shape, form, fashion, other, it may be educational, it may be business, it may be entertainment, um, what have you, but, people who are impacting the culture in Little Rock and, and sharing their perspective and their stories. All right. Well, can't wait. It's going to be a hit. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have uh, more info about it soon. Moving on, Lance Fritchman, a coach at McClellan High School who was put on paid administrative leave after tweeting anti-immigrant, anti-woman messages and calling for a white history month, is back on the job. Little Rock School District spokeswoman Pamela Smith confirmed to the Times earlier this week. Uh, you're a McClellan alum, so I know that you followed this story closely. Absolutely. Uh, hashtag forever McClellan. Um, I, I love it. Um, I don't think I am who I am. I don't go to places I go without being the person who I became while at McClellan, being in that type of environment, which forced me to go to a different environment, going to school in Maine, and then coming back here with those two different worlds inside of me, making me who I am today. So I'm I'm forever uh, supportive and grateful and interested in McClellan. Likewise, in this story. And just for our, our listeners who aren't from Little Rock and maybe don't know the Little Rock School <laughs> District, where's McClellan? What's the student body? McClellan is a uh, high school in the Little Rock School District, and it's located on God Springs in southwest Little Rock. Uh, the student body primarily African-American students. Uh, I'm pretty sure the number is over 90%. Um, maybe, and, maybe some Latino. And some Latino, very small white population at Little Rock McClellan. I spoke to one of the teachers this week about this story because I'm still close with a lot of those teachers, and I I want to know what's going on in the ground because I'm not in school anymore, so I'm not there every day. 
And I think I was told that there may be 25 white students at McClellan and uh, a student population of close to 1,000. So it's not diverse in, in, in that sense. Right. Well, so what, what, what are the teachers saying? What are you hearing from alumni? And- well, what I'm hearing, the, the first thing, I mean, it was reported in the paper, obviously reported at the Times, and I'm getting text messages I'm getting phone calls, getting emails. Uh, what is this? What's happening? What are we going to do? Um, and I was aware of the story when it happened initially, uh, when he was first suspended and, and saw the tweets. And my first reaction, I'll tell you my first reaction and my second reaction. My first reaction was, uh, as a person, we all should be proud in who we are. I mean, I, I don't think there's any problem with a black person saying I'm proud to be black or a white person saying I'm proud to be white. Um, I would expect that out of people, actually. Uh, but when, when you start talking about White History Month and you start defaming or shaming women during the, the Women's March, now you cross into a different area because you're losing context, you're losing uh, the significance of the history of this country. Um, and I think that's where it becomes a problem. And then my second thought, I'm a lawyer. And I'm thinking, well, he, he has a right to say things. Uh, that's the First Amendment. Uh, and then I'm thinking, well, if the school district fired him for expressing himself, that may that may get messy. Even though there are words that, you know, I personally don't think are uh, beneficial to the discourse in our community, he has a right to say certain things. And if he was um, terminated solely because of that or he could make that argument, then that, that's a tricky legal situation. Sure. But those are my first two thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I don't know if you wrote this. I certainly remember him talking about it on the phone when, when he and Mr. Fritchman talked. But Max said, you know, it, absolutely it's your First Amendment right to, to tweet whatever you want to in this case. Now, as a teacher in a heavily majority uh, black and Latino high school, like it's just colossally stupid to do it. No, and I said all that, and – that was not a ringing endorsement of of the teacher. Uh, I do know that he's been there a number of years, maybe close to 10 years. He wasn't there when I was there because I'm getting old now, Lindsay. Um, but he's been there for a while. And from what I'm told from the teachers and alumni, mostly without incident. Um, and I say mostly nothing like this has ever happened before. And I've talked to folks who said, well, you know, if he was really as racist as this particular, some have interpreted this to be, then being around 800 black people every day probably would have struck a chord at some point along the way. With that being said, this was stupid. Like, there was no reason for this. There was no reason to harass the news reporter. Um, and, you know, sometimes stupidity should be disciplined in the workplace. Whether it was rightful or wrongful, there, there needs to be some repercussion. And I definitely understand my... Uh, fellow alumni and community activists who are bothered that someone who can make a stupid mistake like this being around kids on a daily basis and what else could happen. Uh, so there is some there is some cause for concern in that in that regard. We'll talk about McClellan and your experience there, and and I know you've been an active alum. Uh, what do you know about the school today and how it's doing? Well, what I, I thank you. I, I try to be active. I really care about McClellan. Um, I came back to Little Rock. I went to school in Maine and came back to Little Rock because I completely understood 
that the opportunity that were afforded to me, I wasn't, I was different in that regard, not different than the people that I went to McClellan with. And I never want people to see me as, oh, he's an attorney at this firm or he's in these circles, um, that he was somehow different than what you think of the kid that goes to McClellan. I wasn't different. Just someone somewhere said, hey, Antoine, come come look at this and think about this opportunity. So that's why I'm so involved going forward. And where it is right now, um, we're counter at a, a little bit of a crossroads because the school's going away in two years. Um, so in that regard, a couple of my fellow alumni and I have started a foundation called the Friends and Alumni McClellan Foundation to uh, give scholarships to the last two senior classes of McClellan and to kind of preserve the legacy of the school going forward when it becomes a new Southwest High School. I mean, we had a number of principals out there in the past few years. I mean, whenever McClellan incident happened, whenever a story happens in Little Rock School District, it always almost seems it's someone involved, someone who's involved with McClellan. Uh, so we're constantly in the uh, public eye. And for that reason, I thought it was important for us to try to do some good and, and, and help the kids out that who were just like me uh, with some better opportunities. So that's what I think about when I think about the school right now is the scholarship program that we're working on. Well, again, for those who haven't followed closely, that don't live around here, or don't know news about the district, explain why the why it's closing and why there's new Oh, well, ab- absolutely. So and, and you, I guess you there's two questions there. One, uh, we, we talked about the takeover earlier, and one reason, uh, the reason given to the public for the takeover is because six of the schools, six of the 48 schools were in academic distress, which was a now defunct uh, measurement of three years of test scores. Uh, and if you didn't reach a certain number, then you were considered to be in distress and require certain involvement or intervention from the state level. McClellan was one of those six schools that was performing below uh, proficiency, if you will, in that regard. So we were always kind of, not always, but recently looked at as, as a quote-unquote failing school. And one of the reasons why there is a takeover in the Little Rock School District. Um, so that that leads to the takeover. And as you relate in your next question about where why the school is going away, there has now... Um, the Little Rock School District is now building a brand new high school in Southwest Little Rock. They're going to close McClellan High School and J.A. Fair High School, which is also in the Southwest region of the city, closing those schools to consolidate them into a new and improved school building. Um, that was initially gave to the voters of Little Rock uh, for a bond issue, and the voters overwhelmingly rejected that because of, I think, in my opinion, because there's no school board. There's no representation uh, to represent the people as it relates to how this money is being spent, whether this is a great use of the funds, and who's running the district and what it's going to look like going forward. And despite that um, rejection from the people, the school district figured out a way to make the money happen, and, and the school is being built as we speak. And it uh, is is an answer to a, a number of critics over the years who have said that uh, the way the school district has directed funding to building improvements hasn't been equitable. That white areas of town, predominantly white areas of town, have gotten schools, new schools, new facilities updated before 
and that's absolutely true in my opinion. I mean, before the takeover happened and when we still had a school board, the school board made a essentially a promise to the city that we're going to build two new schools, one in West Little Rock and a new high school in Southwest Little Rock. Well, the middle school in West Little Rock was built, quote unquote, because they just bought a building and kind of refurbed it. And without any additional funds being to come from the citizens. And then all of a sudden, when you need to build a school in the other part of town, now we need more money from the people. And I, I think that did not sit well at all with a lot of folks. It didn't sit well with me. Yeah. All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What I know you came prepared. What do you got? Well, I thought you'd get to go first. Okay, you know? I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> so I'm going to endorse, uh, even though I'm not quite finished, I have about 30 minutes left, the uh, six-part Netflix documentary series, Wild Wild Country. Have you watched this? I have not watched Wild Wild Country. So it's about the Rajneesh movement, uh, which was a cult of sorts that started by this guy, uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, uh, who, who gained uh, international fame of some sorts in the 70s brought people from all around the country to India to live in his commune and then decamped from there with thousands of his followers to a hundred square mile ranch that the the Rajneesh bought in Oregon and they built a town essentially in this very remote part of Oregon and then very quickly start um, this nutty conflict with local residents of a small town and then the larger county. And it involves uh, vast conspiracy, um, enormous culture clashes, uh, an international manhunt, all sorts of things. It is really fascinating. Um, And it's, the access is just amazing. I I don't know how the filmmakers did it, but they convinced everyone on on either side, the the townspeople and the law enforcement agency, um, Oregonians, very in as you'd expect, but also uh, the the Rajneesh um, give detailed interviews, provided all sorts of contemporary footage. Uh, it's it's just a super immersive documentary, um, so I'd recommend it to to anybody. And just a few riffs off that. It, the name comes from uh, one of my favorite Bill Callahan songs, Drover. Um, Are you going to give us a little ditty? Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, but he's he's in the soundtrack quite a bit. And then uh, Adam Stone, who has been the, the director of photography for all of uh, Jeff Nichols' movies, does, does the um, camera work, and it's beautiful. It's a really stunning part of the country. And wild Wild Country. It's on Netflix. I'll I add it to the uh, the queue. Add it to the queue. Um, one plug for Netflix and also a plug for me going to school in Maine. I graduated from Bowdoin College, and the founder of Netflix, Reed Hastings, is a fellow alum of Bowdoin College. All right. A little FYI for you. Do you feel like you're just like participating in school spirit every time you watch That's Netflix? exactly what I'm doing. I'm actually giving to the school's endowment every month when I pay my Netflix bill. There you go. Um, that's how I give back. My uh, endorsement is uh, for Clint McDonald, who's a Jacksonville native, plays in NFL, uh, not for his work on the field, but work off the field. He has a foundation called the 
McDonald and Associates Collective Collaboration Light into Darkness. It's pronounced McLeod. Um, this week was his, uh, you know, foundation week, uh, fundraising week. He went to a lot of schools, had a bowling tournament at Dust Bowl Wednesday night with a lot of uh, football players, past and uh, present. Had a golf tournament yesterday that I participated in. Um, did, I had, you, did you bowl and golf? I bowled and golf and did both terribly. <laughs> Uh, but had a great time, and all the funds are going back to his program. And one, of, and this really the biggest plug is what he's working on. The NFL has Play 60, where they encourage kids to play 60 minutes a day, and he's uh, he has a heart for literacy. So what they're going to do with these funds is try to promote what he wants to call Read 30. He wants all kids to read 30 minutes a day. So he's providing books, and he's going to try to provide that platform to say, if we can play for 60 – how about read for 30 and whether it's reading to your kids for 30 minutes, reading with your kids for 30 minutes, or just making sure your kids read for 30 minutes to promote literacy. I think it's a great idea. Uh, and I'm glad to spend a little, spend a few dollars and a bad golf swing in support <laughs> of it. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on Antoine and uh, we'll look forward to your uh, name to be determined podcast debuting soon so tb t tbd TB podcast to be determined tbd <laughs> we could just call it that it could always be tbd <laughs> just a, it's a loading screen is the logo yeah <laughs> well, under construction thanks thanks for listening subscribe via itunes or your favorite place to get podcasts and we'll be back uh, next week i think uh we have special guest jay barth filling in uh we'll see you thanks everyone podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast